Welcome to another edition of BartCast, a podcast series curated by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. Learn more at bcm-net.org. That's an important foundation for the work we want to do this morning because the work we have to do this morning is hard work. Uh, In the architecture of this year's institute, we decided to begin each full day with a time of serious scriptural and social analysis. As folks in Bonhoeffer's resisting church tradition put it, uh, this is the discipline of looking at things with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. The word in the world. So this morning, uh, <clears throat> I want to I talk about um, apocalyptic faith, but in a deeper vein than the popular memes about the Trumpocalypse. I want to start by picking up where we left off last year at this institute, when we gathered just one month after Trump's inauguration. It's been a long, depressing, and stressful year. Hello? Anybody? Especially if you live in Houston or Puerto Rico or Ventura in terms of climate crisis, or in Charlottesville or Parkland, Florida in terms of racist violence, or if you're a woman or an immigrant or a low-wage worker or indigenous or Muslim, or if you live in Korea or Yemen or Colombia or Syria, go on and on. But it's a measure of how bad it is that even it's even been hell for mainstream liberals and their institutions in this country. From the press to the consumer safety, labor, health care sectors. Now, Ronald Feynman is a mainstream journalist, and he did a survey of the damage last month in Newsweek. It's a dramatic case in point. He laments that Trump is taking us back to the Gilded Age mentality of the robber barons in the late 19th century, lending, leading ultimately to the undermining of the social contract that underlies American stability. And he has presented us with the most corrupt and incompetent presidential team of advisors and cabinet members we have ever seen after just one year. Feynman then, I'm quoting Feynman, he then goes on to recite a litany of Trump's, quote, narcissism, constant insults, ridicule of critics, ignorance of facts, of science and history, obnoxious behavior on a regular basis at public appearances and on Twitter. And then he concludes, in Newsweek! Then he concludes, this very insecure, immature, and mentally disturbed president must somehow be removed from office in 2018. In Newsweek, to give you an idea of how deep the enemy goes. This morning we're going to hear from two respected colleagues who work in the trenches of resistance to hear how they assess the damage. We have to talk about the damage. As Feynman says, to try to summarize what Trump has done cannot be easily accomplished. So much that is detrimental has occurred that even seasoned journalists or activists have trouble keeping up with it all. 
But as difficult as this task is, we have to stay awake to what is happening as best we can. That's why we're here. So, uh, Brother Art's going to come up uh, along with Sister Rose Berger, and they're going to make some comments about how things look from their respective east and west coast vantage points. And after that, we'll return um, to look at our scripture and consider what apocalyptic faith might mean for us in this historic moment. Last night, Elaine introduced Art Cribs, uh, and he led us through this exercise this morning. Let me also introduce our dear friend, Rose Berger. Now, Rose is a Cali native, so she's legit. But she just happens to live in Washington, D.C., where she's been on Sojourner's staff since 1986, fighting the good fight. For more than 25 years, she's rooted herself not only in that magazine and ministry, but in the neighborhood of Columbia Heights. Um, she is a writer, an author, uh, <clears throat> a poet, an amazing poet. She's a pastor. She's a skilled organizer. Uh, she's an innovative teacher. And uh, just a little while ago, in a protest around Trump's budget, she had the audacity to stand on the floor of the, in the Congressional Rotunda and put Congress on notice that God was watching them. Uh, Rose, I want to ask you where are you, Rose? Come on up, sister. Let's welcome Rose Brown. Trump's America, which I put out the next week, 
a riff on the Martin Niemöller and Matthew 25 prayer, which began, first they came for the Muslims, and I said, I'm with them, even though I wasn't a Muslim. So that, that prayer went out pretty quickly, and we had a great uh, video team at Sojourners that helped put that to video. Um, not long after that, I was working on the, the field guide to Trump's authoritarianism, um, to initiate some strategies that people could put into place. And on January 20th, on Inauguration Day, we had great opt-out of the inauguration events. Um, we organized 25 simultaneous non-violence active bystander intervention trainings in the D.C. area and trained about, we had 2,500 people sign up for them. We trained about 1,300 people in uh, active bystander intervention. Um, and the goal was to have all those folks go to the Women's March the next day, which we knew was a referendum on our democracy. And we wanted uh, those folks to be dispersed throughout that massive crowd. Um, and as you may recall, there were no, uh, every violent incident in that crowd was, was de-escalated and resolved. Um, the first hundred days, the goal was do not normalize. Do not normalize this. Educate yourself on what it means, how authoritarians act. Do not comply with injustice. Do not comply with the distortions of the truth. So the, the one-year uh, damage report includes a few things. I'll whoops, move through them quickly. Good news, only one piece of legislation was passed in the past year. And that was, it's a terrible piece of legislation. It's a tax bill, it has long-reaching consequences, but only one piece of legislation of any significance was passed. And that's because people were fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting all year long. Congress generally refused to exercise any of its responsibilities in overseeing the executive office. Only now are we beginning to see a few little incursions. The release of the indictments was an important step. Um, Trump has turned through at least 37 administration officials who have either uh, been fired or resigned. He's normalized the alt-right and white supremacy. He's normalized physical and sexual violence against women. In healthcare, he failed to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but found ways to undermine the law. Uh, and the, the long-term effects on healthcare are, we have yet to see what they will be, but we know that the next parts are gonna be huge cuts to Medicaid and Medicare. Um, and so most of the people who many of us work with uh, in social service agencies are gonna be feeling the effects soon. Um, he implemented rules that allow states to withhold federal funds from clinics that provide abortions. Uh, the question around abortions is obviously one that's controversial, but what we also know is that the issue, the places that offer abortions predominantly, mostly offer women's health care in, in poor and rural areas. And so cutting funds to those areas is, means a direct attack on women's health. The immigration issues, externally we went through the Department of Homeland Security and the Trump administration implementing quote-unquote the travel ban of six predominantly Muslim countries plus North Korea and most recently adding Venezuela to that list. Uh, even though the Supreme Court 
is still processing some of that. They said that the travel ban could go into effect until the Supreme Court ruled. So we have effectively uh, blocked you know, thousands of people from uh, coming to this country, not just as refugees, not just as immigrants or applying for immigration status, but just as visitors. Um, and of course, the, the ban on North Korea has significant impacts, uh, not only in this community, but for Christians in the U.S. who have been quietly working in North Korea, who can no longer go there and come back into the United States. And there's lots of details with that. So internally, those are sort of external immigration issues. Internally, uh, ICE is hiring thousands of new agents. They want to double the size of the uh, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement by 2023. Uh, they have integrated themselves with local police. And even where local jurisdictions have said that they will not comply with, uh, with uh, ICE's request, it, it's still happening. Um, there's the, the horrible football effect of, of DACA that's being debated, uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It protects 700,000 people who came to the United States and children. It affects many of us here and many of our friends and community. Um, and it's being used as a political football and just putting, turning people's lives upside down. Um, the other internal immigration thing is the uh, temporary legal residence for people who came as part of uh, some sort of event in their home country. So whether it was temporary protective status for Nicaraguans, Haitians, uh, Salvadorans, or numbers of other people, those, those programs have just been cut. And now we're seeing the long-term impact on our religious or religious uh, services like Lutheran Refugee Services, Mennonite Central Committee Services, all those kind of stuff whose funding and jobs are just getting slashed in half. Um, under the sort of labor department, roughly calling it the labor department, um, there's you know, little things like abandoning the rules that govern, govern exposure to harmful chemicals. Uh, not tracking workplace deaths anymore. Nixing um, the rule to help uh, that was designed to help uh, transparency in, in wage gaps between men and women, or uh, based on, on race. So there was a there was a rule in place that was helped bringing that bring transparency to that. That's gone. Um, defunded the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that Elizabeth Warren set up. So. If any of you have credit cards, you recognized a couple years ago that things got simpler in the explanations of what you owed. That was because of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, Trump hasn't been able to get rid of it completely, but he just defunded it. Um, that was the government arm that brought the cases against Wells Fargo. Uh, the civil rights aspect of the Justice Department. The Justice Department is in serious um, trouble. Uh, all of the issues, all, all of the progress that Obama made on the Civil Rights Division, particularly modeled on Ferguson, looking at police uh, jurisdictions and how corrupt they were, um, all of those cases have been abandoned. Um, the, this goes back to some of the internal immigration stuff. 
Department of Justice is advocating pursuing felony charges, not only for immigrants who are just re-entering the country, which used to be a misdemeanor, uh, but also for anyone who offers them a place to sleep or ride their car. Uh, Sessions has reversed all the discrimination protections for transgender workers or transgender homeless folks um, and multiple other LGBT protections. Um, in the in issue of the environment, we know that one of the first things Trump did was to pass the Keystone XL pipeline uh, that continues to be fought in Nebraska. It's like a very thin little <coughs> line of protection that has not allowed that pipeline to be built yet. Every day without the Keystone is a good day, so we still don't have it, so we still have a good day. Um, and, uh, and obviously greenlit the completion of the D Dakota Access Pipeline also. Uh, Trump pulled us out of the climate accords and, um, and has banned the Department of Energy from even using the phrase climate change. Um, foreign policy, the frequency of drone strikes has quadrupled compared to Obama's average, and Obama's average was abysmal. So Obama averaged a drone strike every five days. Trump is approving a drone strike every 1.25 days. Uh, we've dangerously escalated conflict with North Korea. We've weakened our alliance with South Korea. We've destabilized NATO alliances in Europe. Uh, Trump has said that he'll move the U.S. Embassy um, from Tel Aviv to, can you still hear me? From, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And this is having a vastly uh, even greater destabilizing effect in, uh, in the Middle East. And the last, uh, last little bit I want to mention um, is nuclear weapons. Um, he's threatened to undo the nuclear deal, not Iran, the Iran nuclear deal. And in the most recent nuclear posture review, he's asked for more flexible nuclear weapons. Uh, nuclear weapons that would, could be used in a smaller targeted area, which of course that doesn't really exist, but he wants things that uh, will come in underneath some of the international laws about using nuclear weapons. Um, foreign policy, uh, the State Department, Rex Tillerson, has basically defunded diplomacy at the State Department. You might ask, what else is the State Department for? Many people are asking that. Uh, there's money sitting in the, in the coffers for the State Department, but uh, none of it's being used. He's cleaned out all the career diplomats. Um, he's emboldened Putin's dictatorship in Russia and aggression in the Ukraine. Um, and even after Putin's attack on our own democratic process in the 2016 elections, he continues to support the kind of authoritarian dictatorship that, that Putin has laid out. Um, in terms of just what it feels like in Washington, D.C., you have the, we don't, the, the only economy that that district has is basically jobs in the federal government. And career uh, mid-level folks have seen their pensions wiped out, have, been, have seen uh, themselves being forced into early retirement. Um, there's a, a palpable sense of despair when you ride the bus downtown. Um, 
there is a level of anger, Heidi can talk about this when she's out walking the dog, the level of sort of virulent anti-Trump graffiti that comes up every day. It's, it's not just political. It's people are fighting for their lives. Um, so we're in the middle of this sort of spiritual blackout, uh, and it's hard to get your footing in it. Um, and part of the part of the old uh, virtue that I've been trying to practice lately, since the old church virtue, is that of fortitude. So it's a moral virtue that ensures firmness in dangerous and difficult times and constancy in the pursuit of what is good. And so that sort of clinging to that virtue of fortitude and praying that I will have fortitude with uh, an increasing amount of fortitude has sort of um, been my focus of the last, especially the last three or four months. So I would just close by saying it is not normal. This is not normal. This is not just a oh, sometimes you have a democratic government and sometimes you have sort of an extreme republican government. That is not what this is. This is an authoritarian, democratically elected authoritarian leader who is implementing a white supremacist agenda that's an inter part of an international white supremacist agenda, as his relationship with Putin points out. And we, the, the, the nature of our country is shifting. I have to believe that sometimes in that chaos, good things can come out of it. But in that chaos, so much pain and suffering is generated. So we have to stick with that uh, virtue of fortitude and try to find our, find our way forward together. So thank you. landscape uh, for, for where we are. Um, Chad introduced me as, as being a minister or pastor of a Filipino congregation and uh, former executive director of a nonprofit here in California. I'm also a journalist uh, from the age of 13. Uh, I, I'm a news reporter. Um, and for the last 18 years, I teach ethics for the California Department of Justice to law enforcement executives. So I want to use that backdrop in terms of my own biography for the reflections uh, that uh, bring us to this moment. Oh yeah, I'm a black guy. And as an understanding of what all of that means, as a son of Southerners who came to California after World War II to escape the violence of Mississippi and Tennessee only to find violence in Southern California, um, I think this is a moment from my very limited and prejudiced uh, perspective when white folk are feeling the pain and suffering uh, that people have been feeling longer than I've been on this planet. Um, from Asians, some who came here voluntarily, others who were forced and put into harsh labor without compensation, here in California and throughout the United States, 
indigenous peoples, the Native Americans as we refer to them, on whose land we are, are here today as their guests, but who suffered the vanquish or at least attempts to remove them from the planet, from Africans as my ancestors who did not immigrate to the United States, but as my friend Alexis reminded me uh, yesterday, uh, were imported here. And no one said, I volunteer to go. Forced into an environment, shipped in the holes of vessels, sick and dying and vomiting and shitting on each other as the seas got rough, only to find that that was not the worst of the voyage until they landed on these shores. So what is happening now, because, not because of the person who's in the White House, but because of the people who put him in the White House, um, the United States has been given an equal opportunity to experience some semblance of pain, suffering, and loss of power. Privilege does not exempt you from what is taking place as Rose has accurately outlined. So what does all of this mean and where does this place us? On November 7th, I was sitting at Costco munching on something my body said, don't do, don't do. <laughs> and a Latino brother was sitting across from me. He says, so what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? And I said, man, it's too close to tell. He says, I tell you now. You're going to hear it from me first. Hillary is going to win, and she's going to win by a landslide. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, you heard it from me first. Now, I had been traveling across the U.S. for most of October, and I have to tell you what I saw. I saw Trump signs across America. When I was in Florida, a week and a half before the election, I saw men, women, and children on the streets holding signs that said Trump and they were making noise. Not only did I not see Hillary signs on front lawns like I was seeing Trump signs from New York to Florida, Chicago, the Midwest, but I saw people in the streets making noise holding Trump signs. And I thought, this is going to be a pretty close election. Now, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm not a fortune teller. But when my brother sitting across from me at Costco said it's going to be a landslide and Hillary's going to win, I wasn't prepared to endorse that idea. She might win, but it surely wouldn't be a landslide. That was November 7th. November 9th, my email blew up, my telephone was going off, and I was on a board meeting for the Interfaith Movement for Human Integrity, and my phone was ringing. And I realized that people I knew were traumatized. In fact, my ex-wife told me she couldn't get out of bed. Traumatized. And that trauma continues today. The Washington Post gave us a statistical measure of what's going on when it said, the person in the White House lies 5.6 times a day. That's what the Washington Post said. 5.6 times a day. And I would suspect that they missed a few lives. But if the person who is supposed to be, quote, the leader of the world, the free world, 
is a habitual liar. How do we know when he's telling the truth? And what can we trust? What credibility is there? The other thing that I don't think we should ever take our eyes off, Wall Street is doing very well. Wall Street had a little bump last week, but even when it hit that bump, it was still above what Wall Street is used to on a good day. Wall Street is doing very well. And what that tells me is that this is a country that thrives on idolatry. That is to say, this is a godless nation. This is a place that believes in materialism, profits, property, money, wealth, and doesn't give a damn about people. God-less. And the person who is occupying the White House is the embodiment of the true values of this nation. I don't see people in the streets. And Rose talked about the 1.5 days of drone strikes. But we have military personnel who are actively engaged all over the world today. And wherever we are, people are dying. But we're not in the streets about that. We talk about the people who can't afford health care. And, and you might remember in 2007, 8, and 9, it was recorded when foreclosures were going through the roof that people were losing their homes because somebody got sick and went to the hospital and could not afford their hospital bill, their medical bills. And as a result, they lost their home. But nobody was really in the streets about that. We have more people in prison today than any other country in the world. And many of those people are in prison because of the color of their skin or the language they speak and not the crime they've done or didn't do. But I don't see people in the streets about that. Now, my heart goes out to white people, particularly progressive white people, people who spent and their parents spent and their relatives spent and their neighbors spent times in the streets to make change in America. And that's what's on the line today. Some people remember how hard it was to get legislation passed to open up doors to make this a more inclusive nation so that the ideals of our imagination could become realized. And in just over a year, that's been wiped away. That's part of the trauma, the hard work, the sacrifice, the labor, and and the American Civil Rights Movement was not just black and brown and people of color. There were white folk out there. People benefited. President Obama was no great answer to the ills of the world. As Rose indicated, his policies followed the American way. But it was beginning to make some inroads that, that showed some glimmer of hope and possibility that the future would be better than the past, and this, this person who has come into office has wiped away that dream. 
but Wall Street is doing very well today. When we look at, in a few months, and you're right, the only bill that has passed in the last year was a tax bill that favors the very, very wealthy, and, and the little bump in income that is promised over the next three months will go away in about five years, and the payback is going to be severe. People across the United States today are suffering because life did not get better when there was a, 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 a bloodless coup that came into being using the rules of the political structure in this country. And it's very interesting, and it's not lost on any of us, it wasn't a majority vote that got him in, but it was the political structure that allowed for this election to be certified, approved, and legal. And in California and on both coasts, presidents declared war on those regions that did not vote for him in mass. And that's what we're feeling too. Right? Now what I said to my staff around November 15, 2016, we have been handed a golden platter of purpose with the election of the person in the White House. A golden platter of purpose. Because every place we look, every person we touch, everything we do moves us toward the reason we exist. Nobody is untouched. We work with immigrants which is a funny term because most of the people who are being targeted as unwanted immigrants, <laughs> this is their home. <laughs> Arbitrary borders have been erected in their living rooms. And they're told, you are no longer wanted in your house because we occupy it now. People that we work with need allies, supporters, Comrades, sisters, and brothers every day. They've always needed us. But that's our purpose. To be with one another. So I'm not so, even with the landscape being what it is, I'm a black man. Sometimes I shield that. But I'm a black man. And as a black man, we were never wanted in this country. We were never given equal compensation for our labor. We never had health care protections in mass. We have always been on the fringe and outside and criminalized just because a criminal activity which was legalized, sanctioned, and protected by this country made it possible for my ancestors to be snatched off their land, put in the hulls of ship, transport, transported to this place, and never compensated and never apologized to, and never repaired for the psychological, emotional damage and trauma that they have suffered even to this day. That's right. And ain't nobody in the streets about that. For the Native Americans, the indigenous peoples of these lands, who not only had their land taken from them, too many of them lost their lives. Ain't nobody in the streets about that. 
And so here we are with the equal opportunity to experience a coup in the name of the people of the United States. Now, when we step outside the U.S., most of the world has said, we can do it without you, America. We don't have to wait for you. We can do it ourselves. And so here we are, this island of people trying to figure out what time is it and what can we do about it. And my remedy to that is get to know your neighbor. Love one another. The civil rights movement in America began in the basement of churches. Where people prayed together, sang together, locked arms together, and they said, we shall overcome. We need to know who's living in our house, in the next room, in the next house, across the street, up the street. We need to know our neighbors so that we can follow that, that mandate that says, love your neighbor rather than yourself. And if we do that, it doesn't matter what happens in the storm. We provide a shelter for one another. To the extent that we love one another, work with one another, support one another, encourage one another, pray with one another, sing with one another, celebrate with one another, it doesn't matter what's happening in the storm. We create a force that will sustain us, move us, protect us, and keep us. But to the extent that we isolate ourselves from one another, sisters and brothers, there ain't no shelter when you got no community. That's just the way I see it. You have been listening to the BartCast, produced by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. To find our resources or to donate to support the BartCast, please go to chedmyers.org. Thank you for listening. Oh.